You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Piggy from BitchesGetRiches.com and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi everyone, uh, this is Barney from TheEscapeArtist.me. You're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, I'm Freddie Smidlap from FreddieSmidlap.com. You're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, I'm Kitty. You're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc, we have an actual fun episode. I often use that to describe episodes here as being fun. I'm trying to find other ways to introduce episodes, but today it applies because we're going to be talking about humor and what role does humor play when talking about money. We have four guests who are going to delight us with their witty banter and extol us with their great wisdom. We'll give each of them a chance to give a quick introduction. Freddie, do you mind going first, please? No, I don't mind. Here it comes. I was working in a factory about 10 years ago, having a miserable life. I said, I got to free myself from this. And I looked up probably like a lot of people. How do I quit working at a crappy job? Found the financial independence community and fast forward 10, 12 years and uh, found myself basically independent, the chains of work. So I decided to write a little blog about it. Maybe tell other people how I did it and they could learn something. Wonderful. I resonate with that story for sure. Looking forward to hearing more about that. Barney, you're up next. Can you give us a quick introduction, please? Hi, I'm Barney. I write the blog at The Escape Artist, www.theescapeartist.me. I've been writing that about five years now. I think I'm the the token Brit on this panel. I'm based uh, just outside of London. And so I guess I see my role as kind of spreading the word outside the US into UK and, uh, the UK and beyond. All right, great. Thank you for joining us from across the pond. And before I allow the next two panelists to introduce themselves, I want to give a quick disclaimer that this episode is explicit and does have some profanity. You'll understand why in just a second. This may not be suitable for young children with impressionable young minds. Please use your judgment if there are children within earshot or you are not comfortable with some adult language. Piggy, do you mind giving us a quick introduction, please? 
Hi, I'm uh, Piggy from BitchesGetRiches.com. You may know me as one half of the titular bitches. Uh, we are tastemakers and faith healers and advice givers on such topics as personal finance and adulting. And uh, we're just really here to have a good time. Fantastic. Thank you. That's definitely appropriate for today's episode. Kitty, you're next. Can you give us a quick intro and then we'll open up the dialogue? Yeah, so I'm the other half of Bitches Get Ridges. I write under the name Kitty. We are opinionated women talking about money on the internet, so we have no audience and everyone hates us. Well, I'm glad to hear that because, Kitty, I wanted to start with you here. Tell me, what's the deal with Harry Potter? It seems like whenever I go on your website, it has a prominence in your guys' writing. I think that's fair to say that we do have one Harry Potter reference per article quota. That's Mm -hmm. standard quality control. I think it's honestly one of those cultural touchstones that sometimes someone is really struggling to understand the way that I'm trying to frame something. And I'm like, okay, this is like strictly like a Hufflepuff problem. So what you got here, then they're suddenly like, oh my God, you're right. I'm huffing and puffing my way around this situation. I really need to like streamline Ravenclaw it out. Thank you very much. I was going to say by the end of this, maybe you'll be able to tell each of the panelists which school they belong in or which group. This is intriguing because it's quite a deep analysis, but I'm prepared to throw it out there. So, Freddie, when I think about themes of blogs, I often look at the tagline. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about your tagline for your blog? Life is a shit sandwich. The more bread you have, the less shit you have to eat. How did you come up with that one? (laughs) Someone said it in college around 1987. Like anything funny I've ever said, it's just regurgitated. Anything funny you ever said came from someone else, huh? Most everything. Yeah, I, I can't make this stuff up. (laughs) But I can remember it. Barney, so I went to look at your tagline and it said, you can escape from financial freedom. And I have to admit that wasn't that funny, but then I looked down and your next or first post said work bitch. So although we do have some bitches on the podcast today, I'm wondering how you channeled channeled Britney Spears into a personal finance blog. Britney was kind enough to submit a guest post for me. Didn't know she was doing that, I have to say. I often use music, pop music, as a kind of a vehicle to tease out five themes. And the Britney one was just perfect because she's full on kind of dominatrix. And the idea is, you know, it's all about life choices. You know, you want the flashy car, do the work, bitch. And Britney just gives it to you straight and you'll take it from Britney. You might not take it from me. Speaking of giving it to you straight, Piggy, talk to us a little bit about your tagline. Yeah, so uh, our tagline is finance, feminism, no fucks given. And that really refers back to our whole philosophy of bitches getting riches. Uh, We wrote a post recently on the philosophy of bitches get riches, and it basically means you don't need to take crap from everybody. You don't need to censor your natural personality or be apologetic in order to get what you want in life. And in fact, it's really important that you not be apologetic and that you approach life with confidence in order to get the things you need, i.e. money and career advancement. And, you know, it's kind of also (laughs) references what Kitty said earlier about how uh, we have no audience and we're opinionated on the internet. You know, we don't have a lot of fucks to give about people who come at us saying that, you know, we use, for example, the word fuck too often, or that we are espousing some ideas that are hard to hear. 
Is that a reference to Sarah Knight's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck? <laughs> no, it's not. I'd say it's more of a reference to uh, the generation we share with Sarah Knight and how we've all sort of taken on this philosophy of not giving a fuck. Yeah, I went on the internet and looked for all the references about giving and taking fucks. And apparently there are a lot of books about such things. Um, So many books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Piggy, you know, it's interesting your tagline, you kind of say no fucks given. But in a sense, after reading your content, I would almost say that you guys are kind of generous with fucks. In fact, I would say that you might even be considered promiscuous with fucks. And what I mean by that is... (laughs) You know, you guys use humor, but you also delve into social mission quite a bit. I mean, you guys talk about poverty, you talk about racism, you talk about the gender wealth gap. Do you think sometimes that the duality of being both funny and serious can harm your message? Not at all, actually. And I kind of love this question. I feel like a lot of it is we use gallows humor. You know, we use humor to make the things that we discuss bearable. Our most recent article is about homelessness and the root causes of homelessness and how, you know, we can make policy changes in our local governments and our federal government to affect the root causes of homelessness. And those just full of jokes, mostly because I would have cried while writing it if it hadn't been for, you know, making some poop jokes about money. But I feel like the two go hand in hand very well. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily a coping mechanism but it is definitely something to make the bleak capitalist hellscape in which we live a little more bearable. You can face down the grinning maw of the monster a lot easier if you can do it while you're cracking a joke and you're making people laugh. Kitty, do you sometimes get hate mail based on your language or based on your reverence? Oh my God, there's nothing better to me than when people share our articles with a caveat that says, okay, they use some strong language in this article, but if you can get through it, it's really good. And I just adore that because I think Piggy and I are both originally from the East Coast. Let me tell you, like I have sworn in a job interview and landed the job like at the highest tier of what they budgeted for that role. Like if I've got something to say, there's going to be the word in it somewhere. I just cannot control that. I very recently taught a day of high school classes on beginner finance. And I started by drawing this sort of crude jar shape on the board. And I said, all right, I am not a teacher and I am not used to communicating without quite a lot of filth pouring out of my maw. So please, anytime you kids hear me use a swear word, go ahead and stop me and I will add a dollar to the swear jar. And the class was doing quite well for itself. By the end of the day, they had a collective $26 from four classes. So I hope they all got donuts. Barney, when she says this, it actually makes me think of that post of yours work, bitch, because I think if I'm quoting the right blog post, you say something to the extent of there is unwritten rule that stuff about money has to be written so blandly that none of the children in the sandpit can possibly get offended. I mean, are we generally too PC in this community? Well, I think the world is too PC. I don't know about this community specifically. And I don't know where that rule came from. But to me, there is something about, particularly in the mainstream media, anything to do with personal finance everyone is kind of falling over themselves to make it as bland as possible. So when I kind of stumbled across Mr. Money Moustache, that was just one of the first things that kind of grabbed me was the humor content of it. 
And, you know, I think you possibly do lose some readers, or I possibly do lose some readers who don't like the gags, but I don't want to write for those people. This is a two-way interaction between a blogger and the audience. And for me, humor is the way that I get paid because I don't run ads on my site. I'm not getting paid to kind of put all this content out there. For me, the reward is I get to laugh at my own jokes. All right, Freddie, let's bounce off that a little bit and talk about being crass. You had a post called, Help, I'm Pooping My Pants Over Safe Withdrawal Rates. Now, when I take that together with your tagline, obviously you have a thing for certain body functions, but above and beyond that, do you think that the crassness sometimes turns people off? Oh, I don't care if it does or if it doesn't. 50 readers, they can take it and they keep coming back. And it's a cross section of people, which that that I'm kind of proud of. It's not just a bunch of bros who read my material and respond to the material, which is nice. I got so tired of reading all safe withdrawal rates, safe, well, three and a half percent, 2.8 percent, 4 percent. What a bunch of bullshit because things change in the world. And there's no adaptability in that. And this stuff is not all so simply hard and fast. So don't poop your pants over safe withdrawal rates. Make a plan, be be prepared to adjust. So I really like the idea of focusing on a niche. And there's a saying I hearken back to along with thinking about starting a business or creating content. And it's this concept of riches are in the niches. And the more niche you get to be, the more enriching the content tends to be because I think people specifically resonate with it. So is humor a niche of in its own right, or is it a mechanism to help you get through what is otherwise thought of as a fairly boring topic? For me, I couldn't write without it. In fact, if it was without the humor, I would just stop and I'd be a commenter. Like I know half a dozen of them who don't write much, but they throw you the best comments in the whole wide world when you think that they ought to have their own thing. It would be way better than mine. Piggy, with you guys, did it start with the comedy or did it start with personal finance or was it a mixture of both? What was your purpose when you first began the blog? Well, the lore says that we had both paid off our student loans ahead of schedule. We both bought houses before any of our friends. We both you know, got married on these shoestring budgets before any of our friends. And we realized that throughout all those processes, you know, we've been besties for years we just had each other to talk through that process. And we didn't really have any resources that kind of rang true to us. You know, we kind of stumbled upon various personal finance resources, but nothing really felt like they were speaking to us. Either they were coming from a different class perspective or a different gender perspective or age perspective. But most, like, none of them made us laugh. None of us really sort of tapped into the issues that we were dealing with with our lives. So we sort of wanted to write something that was going to be speaking to younger versions of ourselves if we could go back in a time machine. And, you know, both of our style is very much like laugh at your pain and laugh at the injustices in the world because we have to face them head on. So you might as well have a laugh along the way. And what we found is our, the largest portion of our audience are high school students, college students, and recent college graduates. So the younglings, if you will. And we feel that they respond to a humorous approach. And they're looking for entertainment as well as education online. So they're not going to pay attention if you keep things dry and polite and you, you know don't crack dick jokes about money and don't make light of these situations, but also provide that necessary financial literacy information. 
Kitty, we talk a lot about the different generations and how they not only make wealth, but how they talk about it. Do you think the baby boomers and Gen Xers connect with your message as well as the millennials? You know, it's interesting. I was prepared for our blog to be a complete and utter turnoff to everyone who wasn't in our target demographic. And I'm constantly shocked by the number of people who write into us and they say, I'm a woman in my 50s and I think your blog is so funny. I send your articles to my daughter. She's in high school. And I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. You throw stuff out there and... I think sometimes our thinking around generations is a little bit reductive. I'm 31 years old and I really feel like deep inside of me is a 79-year-old woman. That is like where my head is at. That is what my priorities are. Love cats, love staying in, love having a single glass of wine at night. Um, I feel like those kind of stereotypes that get into your head about like what young people like and what old folks like is often quite misleading to what people actually enjoy. And I think one of the biggest untapped truths about Gen Z and millennials is that we are super old at heart. We just want the simple comforts of a quilt and some money in our 401 fucking K. You know, on an aside, did I read somewhere that you have 12 pets? Honey, that's low. Up until uh, earlier this week, it was at 15, but now it's down to 14. We're doing well. We have, let's see, six chickens, which really pads the numbers. I think that's deceptive to include the chickens, but there you go. We have two permanent resident dogs. We have a permanent resident cat. We have two guinea pigs who are driving me up the wall. They have gotten into the habit of screaming. If I put food into their cage and it is not carrots, I'm wasting their time evidently and they have uh, no compunction about letting me know about it. Then finally, we, we do a lot of animal fostering. So we just had a foster dog who went to her forever home, clap, clap, clap. We have two foster cats for a... A gentleman who I never met, who is currently in the hospital out of state with uh, complications from the flu. Everybody go out and get your flu shots because if you don't, some kind of internet stranger is going to be taking care of your precious fluffy little cats. It's going to be very stressful. Don't do it. Go out, get it. Don't be lazy. I was about to say, no wonder you're pursuing financial independence. You need all that extra money just to support all your animals. These chickens are eating me out of house and home. I'll tell you that. Spring cannot come soon enough. All right, let's transition to Barney a little bit. I listened to your episode on Choose FI with Alan Donegan. And don't take this the wrong way, but you weren't funny. In fact, it wasn't that you weren't funny. I mean, the purpose of the whole episode was not to be funny. It was a serious conversation about personal finance and how people go about financial independence in the UK. But it kind of makes me wonder, you know, Is your avatar on the blog who you are in person? Are you slightly different in the real world than you are when you're writing? Oh, so the escape artist is my alter ego and my imaginary friend. And he's a complete asshole, basically. So, you know, the escape artist is snarky. He cracks bad taste jokes. He winds everyone up. He teases people. He's he's generally insufferable. That's a part of my personality. And I kind of riff off that. So that's not exactly who I am, but there's certainly a a chunk of that in me. And Freddie, the same question to you. You and I talked the other day and we talked a little bit about irreverence. 
Is there something about being on the internet that gives us the freedom to possibly say things we normally wouldn't in real life? Or do you find that your Freddie Smidlap is not an alter ego, but it's just who you are? I am exactly the same in real life. I'll give you a short example of a college professor friend who really goes down that safe space road with the political correctness and everything. And she came to have a drink or something to eat six months ago. And I just couldn't sit there and say, no, I think this is all great. It's no, it's this safe space stuff is bullshit. There's no place safer than on that college campus where you teach. It's just a one tiny little example. It's just, Maybe, I haven't seen her since, maybe there's an indication of uh, she wasn't so uh, enthused with that response. But All right, Pete, I, yeah, I, I want to ask you a question about the name of the blog, Bitches Get Riches. I was listening to the Fair Sense podcast that you guys were on. And one thing they kind of said before you guys came on is they said, you know, I generally don't like that word. You know, they didn't like the word bitches. Both of them said they kind of don't use it. But in your case, it was fitting. Tell me about that. I mean, do you get some pushback just on the name? Because I think it's part of your comical genius. It certainly is something that gets people to jump right in and look. But it's not necessarily a word that all women or men like, per se. Yeah, I love this question. So first of all, I just want to say that Tanya and Kara of the Ferrisons podcast are two of our like absolute best like ride or die friends in the personal finance space, nay, in life. So we love them. And I really respect their point of view that they both don't like the word bitches. And I completely understand it. So part of what we're doing by calling ourselves the bitches is what's called take back culture. So we're reappropriating the word bitches. It has been used to harm us. It has been used as a pejorative against mouthy, confident, in control women for decades, if not centuries. And we're deciding that if the word bitch is something that could describe, you know, really badass women like Kamala Harris, recent presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, women of that caliber, then it's good enough for us. We're definitely trying to take it back with our characterization of ourselves as bitches and with the blog title. But we also recognize that that's not for everybody. We ran into the wonderful people behind Rich and Regular at FinCon this year. And we had a great conversation with them. And I don't know if you guys know this, but they're black. And black culture has its own manner of words that they take back. So they told us, they're like, yeah, we don't like that word. So we're not going to call you the bitches, but we really love your blog. And I was like, I totally respect that. That's completely fair. It's not for everyone. And I respect your reasons for not wanting to use that word. But at the same time, when people see, they go down the blog roll on like Rockstar Finance or whatever, and they find all like a million different blog names that have three M's in them, or that are some variation on a pun on the word financial independence, and then they see suddenly bitches get riches, it's definitely a record scratch moment. So we were very intentional in naming the blog that. Well, I think it's smart because it gets people's attention in an otherwise crowded space, whether it be financial independence, the fire movement, or personal finance. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, 
purposeful cockpit like driving position and award winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L A N D R O V E R U S A. Dot com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. I'm curious. I like this value of edutainment by using entertainment to expand on people's money education. But where is the limit? Is there a point where we're pushing the edge too far and we should take it back a notch? I do. I just want to jump in really quick to say we had a question from a reader a couple nights ago who was saying that they're so in debt that they feel like killing themselves. And I immediately shut down the funny side of things and sent them a link to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, a couple other resources of that nature, and just said, you know, I'm not an expert on this. I cannot make light of this situation. Please know that we care about you and we want you to get all the resources you can to get help. Can I just follow up on that point? That's a good point. Because what humor is, is like it's the canary in the coal mine in terms of kind of well-being and mental health. So one of the first things to go as people kind of get progressively ground down in life by debt worries or money worries or, or by their job, you know, those people tend to lose their sense of humor. And, you know, I notice that in myself, you know, the reason I write about the prison camp, the reason I write about the kind of escaping from that corporate world is I kind of realized that I was trapped and I was losing, you know, a part of who I was, I was losing my sense of humor. And so when I kind of popped out the other end, uh, thanks to financial independence, one of the things I wanted to do was kind of reconnect with the humor that I'd had earlier in life. But it also tells me when I meet someone, coaching client, or I meet a reader at a meetup, you know, the amount of humor that they're using tells me something about their kind of wellness and their state of mind. Yeah, Barney, I have to admit, when I read your prison camp blog, the first thing I thought is, yeah, prison's not a bad way to financial independence. You know, free room and board, you get a few meals, you don't have to pay for internet. But I get the feeling that that wasn't what you meant. So I continued reading the post and later figured it out. It's kind of a prison of the mind. Freddie, you think there is a point at which you go too far. Are you cognizant of that when you're writing your post? No, sir. I'm really not. I know what is too far, but for me, like I put out a coitus post for Valentine's Day yesterday. Best free, fun, frugal activity in the world. Let's go for some coitus. I didn't say fucks, but just throw it out there. Maybe that's not so popular. 
didn't get a lot of traction, but to put it out there anyways. Well, people don't understand it, maybe. They don't have a dictionary available. It's a great word. It was in the Big Lebowski. Do you ever get negative feedback? I mean, do people ever write you and say, hey, man, you went too far? You know what? I have not. I welcome it uh, for sure. My my biggest negative feedback was on Barney's blog. Some guy wrote a thousand-word comment about, oh, you're wrong about this and that and the other. All right, you didn't change my mind, but you wrote a thousand words. Well done. Well, here's an interesting thought. Could they have changed your mind? I'm not familiar with the specific context of the conversation, but if their argument had merit, could it have adjusted your point of view? It, it all depends on tone. So go ahead and take a pontificating tone. You just lost me. But I love having my mind changed. Being persuaded is a glorious thing. And I'd like to think I'll never write an instruction manual as part of the blog. But I'll write, here's what I did. Here's what I think worked. Here are a few missteps. Think for yourself and take away with that from that what you can. Maybe you can apply that to your own situation. Kitty, it's one thing to talk about writing about difficult things with humor online, but you also advocate for looking weird at work. I think you once described yourself as having a lost lesbian Targaryen sister look. What the hell does that mean? That's pretty literal. I have a hair that is dyed sort of a, a pale silver color. And at the time I had an undercut where half of one side of my head was shaved. I've since grown it out and I'm really bummed out about it. I, I miss quite a lot. But yeah, I think it's really funny. I had a boss at my old job who was just about the most buttoned up looking dude. He looked like he could have run for president. Like he had that kind of look. He wore a three-piece suit in the office every day. Super polished looking dude. And, you know, one day he and I were chatting and I was like, you know, I'm thinking about growing the undercut out. And he went, oh, I mean, you can do whatever you like. It's your hair, but I love it. I think it looks so cool. And I'd be so bummed if you had hair just like everybody else. It's like, you know, that's real damn cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of people just being their damn selves. I think something that I really highly value is the idea that like, if you're going to criticize something about someone, if you're going to comment on something about someone, make it something that's substantial, that affects other people and isn't just this sort of like arbitrary aesthetic. So I'd read a lot of advice on financial blogs that said, if you're going into a job interview, for God's sake, hide your tattoos, take out your extremely modest one piercing. You know what? Don't even wear earrings. Ooh, like this sort of, it was so depressing when you really step back from that kind of advice. It has that feel of grinding you down and just like, make sure you look exactly like everyone else. Make sure you look as bland as possible. Make sure you present as sort of like submissively and without personality as you possibly can. And ultimately, the sort of sinister underpinning that I see to that isn't just that you're encouraging people to be boring and to leave their personality at the door, which are bad enough. But you're also saying there's one picture of what a successful person looks like. And you've got to try to scrape and mold yourself to look like that person. And if you don't, it's your own fault. I hate that mentality. So yeah, I think there are incredibly talented, incredibly smart, incredibly driven people who don't fit 
those classic molds of what successful people look like, you know, to the point where like, I think back to uh, now, I think it's kind of an, an old meme at this point, but the idea of the sort of San Francisco mogul who wears this minimalist wardrobe of only the black t-shirt and the regular jeans and, oh, that's how you know that they're probably a billionaire. You know, those kinds of things are, I think when you insist on people looking like one thing to be successful, you make the world not only dangerous, but boring. Well, it's interesting because you describe two extremes, one being the buttoned up white collar professional, the clean look, you know, with no visible tattoos, or two, like a Steve Jobs is the other side of the spectrum. And it seems to me the fire movement is trying to push against that default plan, whatever we might label that. We don't talk much about the way it looks, but we talk about the culture and subsequent money behavior on why we make those decisions. Do you resonate with that as well? I do. I think people need role models to know what the hell it is that they want to do. And for some people that may look a lot like you're a follower, you're going to pick someone who you respect and you're going to emulate them. Eh, Maybe. But I think realistically, people need to see someone acting in a way that they haven't seen someone act before to make them go, oh, wow, if that person gets to act like that, maybe I could also act like that. Or maybe I could act a little bit differently in a way that makes sense for me personally. So I think, yeah, fire is actually a great example of that whole mentality. You know that most people do retire between, you know, 65 and 70 maybe, but you don't have to. Most people uh, buy the nicest quality of car that they can afford to, but you don't have to. Just giving people role models that look and act differently is a really powerful way to make people think about their own values in their own life and what the hell they want to do with the limited number of hours they have on the planet. I'd like to turn what Kitty said around a little bit. I think you guys have done a great job of becoming the standard counterculture with your humor and the way you come about things. You guys are known to look and feel and sound different. And I'm thinking about being at FinCon and listening to Tanya Hester give a talk about podcasting and she starts giggling and I look back and there are Piggy and Kitty coming in in bathrobes. There's this feeling of performance art there, which was wonderful and timely and hilarious. Does it build pressure? I mean, do you feel like you have to show up and be different all the time? (laughs) Oh, what a great moment. This is a huge fault of ours, but we find ourselves very funny and we love (laughs) laughing at our own jokes. So uh, we definitely like giggled in the hotel room a bit before we were like, oh my God, wouldn't it be funny if we came down in bathrobes and sunglasses carrying coffee mugs, like looking really wasted? So we did that. But no, I don't feel like there's pressure. And part of it is because we do write under pseudonyms. You know, shockingly, Kitty and Piggy are not our real names. It's actually Katie and Peggy. So I feel like, you know, Piggy is able to get away with some things that I am not. And it removes a little bit of the pressure. It makes it a little safer. You know, we do have our private lives because we have these pseudonyms. So, you know, if I ever get tired of the performative aspect of being this internet finance guru who constantly makes people laugh, I can just, I don't know, like go watch The West Wing with my husband and, you know, go walk the dog or something and step back from it. So, you know, I really feel like we are sort of able to escape it becoming old and becoming too much pressure by just, you know, being ourselves. Yeah, no, we're totally smug about it. And so far, it's not old. Yeah, I think it really does come down to the fact that for us, it comes completely naturally. Like we have always been 
you know, our origin story for real, how um, Piggy and I met was that we were randomly assigned roommates freshman year of college. And that really colors our entire relationship. That era of our life, we felt so free. We felt so confident. We felt so funny and sexy and cool. And we would and just- were none of those. We were never been any of those things. That is such false advertising. But we felt that way and that was what mattered. And to this day, like I can never shake that feeling that that's the core of our relationship is meeting in that vibe of feeling fearless and just being ourselves. And we're both, I think, people who just like to joke around a lot, usually telling jokes that are honestly not that funny and then repeating them if your husband doesn't laugh and saying, didn't you notice how funny that was? Hello, <laughs> hello. So I think if you're being yourself and yourself is a funny person, that's awesome. I also want to rep the fact that there are so many great sites out there, so many great voices out there that are not funny at all, <laughs> that are like terrible public speakers and, you know, completely alienating and weird to be around in person, but it doesn't matter because they still are a fountain of interesting perspectives or great research. It's not that everybody in personal finance has to also like do a tap dance while you're explaining, you know, escrow. But I think being true to who you are, I love seeing people just being their damn selves. I also want to point out that, you know, we're not necessarily the key and peel of the personal finance space, but it does help that we're a duo and like we can kind of feed off each other's energy and, you know, and trade off. Whereas Barry and Freddie, like, you know, it's all you guys and you have all the pressure to be entertaining and educational and everything. Like we're a package deal and we know that and it definitely helps with the comedy. Do y'all know who Hunter S. Thompson is or Charles Bukowski? I'm not a voracious reader, but I read most of those Hunter S. books. And he made something as filthy as politics kind of fun and very irreverent. And I thought, man, I wonder if I could write a tenth of that style about finance. And maybe something will filter through just because someone enjoyed that style of irreverent writing. So that's where mine came from. The the idea of let's take some of the vanilla off this and throw some sprinkles on it, what have you. Barney, is being anonymous give you a lot more freedom? I mean, do you think you would write differently? Do you think you would be less humorous if you knew people knew your full name and knew more about you? I'm out of the closet. I did a TV program for Channel 4 in the UK like a year or two ago, and that kind of outed me, and I was in the press. So I kind of lost that shield. And it's no big deal, right? It's a huge kind of uh, mental barrier before you jump the divide and kind of reveal your name to the world. But it's not a big deal. And so that's not been a problem. I mean, just picking up what Freddie said, to me, there's the benefit to me of humor. As I said, that's my payment. That's what keeps motivating me to write because I enjoy it so much. And if you're not being paid to do something, you better love it, right? And then there's the kind of reader experience. And the phrase that sums it up for me, it's a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Because some of these messages are very difficult. They're very countercultural. You know, in the UK, it's not like the US. They're not like 500 different fire blogs. It doesn't have the same profile over here as it does there. And so to a lot of people, if there's no humor, you're just their mom or their dad or the kind of, you know, really irritating, sanctimonious school teacher saying, eat your greens, do your homework, work harder, stop complaining. So that the humor aspect is how you kind of slip that medicine through the barriers. 
I like this idea, Piggy. Is that what you guys find in your writing, that the humor maybe reaches people that otherwise would turn away from your message? Oh, totally. We have people who definitely disagree with our economic philosophy and whatever, who still come back to say, hey, I, I learned something today and you know, I really enjoy your writing and it always makes me laugh. And especially not just people who disagree with us, but like the younger readers, the millennials, the Generation Z kids, like they are not looking for a dry treatise on how the stock market works. They are looking for a wet treatise on how the stock market works filled with poop jokes. So we feel a strong responsibility to provide them with that. We've been having a lot of fun here talking about how humor is the sugar that helps the medicine go down. I'd like to give each of you a chance to give your last thoughts on what is the role of humor when talking about money. Barney, I'll have you go first. Last words. I'm a Coke dealer here. You know, I'm handing out little packages that I hope the readership will get addicted to. And humor is, if you can do that and if you can get that right, people will keep coming back to that like crackheads. Freddie, I'll give you the same chance. I'm down with that. And sometimes I love to sell them the negative. Like I did finance so badly at age 25, I ended up in this filthy boarding house full of criminals outside Boston. Don't be me at age 24. It's a great anecdote to hear about it. But to me, if I was a young person reading that, that might be a little bit of a motivator. Don't do this. Try this. Maybe it'll work. We did it. I like that. Piggy, how about you? Last words on the role of humor when talking about money. We live in a society where we trade special scraps of green paper for goods and services, and we value human beings based on the number of scraps of special green paper they have. If you don't think that's funny as shit, I don't know how to help you. Oh, what's crazy is when you put it that way, I'm not sure many people have thought about it in quite those terms, yet that's exactly how the money world operates. What I believe you called the bleak capitalist world? Yes. I am very witty. Very witty, in fact. (laughs) Kitty, what about you? What are your last thoughts? I hope y'all could see me laughing uh, on my little video preview here because this bitch stole my look. That was exactly, exactly what I was going to say. How hilarious is the human experience that sort of a key component of our lives is collecting tiny pieces of paper that prove how hardworking and deserving of resources we are. God, I just love this like sisterhood vibe that we have where you and I have the exact same philosophy behind it. You know, it's really freaking weird. We all will spend a third of our lives lying down in a special soft box We will lose consciousness, be completely vulnerable, and hallucinate for hours on end. That is a third of our existence. How freaking weird is that? Human beings make no logical sense. We make no logical sense, and we have built a society that makes no logical sense. And if you can't step back and look at the absurdity of it all, I think you can get really sucked into the trees and stop seeing the woods for what they are. There's a great phrase that sums that up. If you can't laugh at yourself, you're missing out on the best joke in the universe. Absolutely. I'm I'm so glad you said absurdity. I wrote it down and forgot to mention it in today's podcast, but it's an important word for all of this, the human existence. Ah, that's a perfect segue into letting the audience know where they can tune in to the absurdity on the internet. Where can we find you and what is up next for you? Barney, can you start us off first? So 
you can find me at www.theescapeartist.me, not .com, not .co.uk, but theescapeartist.me. I've been kind of blogging there for five years. In terms of what next, well, I kind of crossed off a big one from my bucket list in September of last year when the Times of London kind of ran an article in their editorial column. Every day they write three uh, leading articles. And on the 17th of September, number one was what Theresa May is doing wrong with Brexit. Number two was should the West invade Syria? And number three was Barney Whiter has managed to retire early. So I kind of think everything I do from now on is going to be downhill from there. Freddie, same question. I write a little blog no one reads called freddysmidlap.com. I'm just trying to learn a little there for my next better, bigger project. We're going to try to do some e-commerce centered around Mrs. Spidlap's artwork and designs. I thought I'd screw this up first and then uh, maybe do better when we try to really launch something. Piggy, how about you? Where can we find you and what's up next for you? You can find us online at bitchesgetriches.com. You can follow us on Twitter at bitchesgetrich and on Tumblr at bitchesgetriches.tumblr.com. Also, check out our Etsy shop, which Kitty worked really hard on, and it's just bitchesgetriches on Etsy. Kitty, where can we find you and what's up next for you? So you can find us online at bitchesgetriches.com. You can follow us on Tumblr, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. Honestly, if you are a Tumblr user, our Tumblr is rockin'. Piggy does great anonymous Q&As where she will answer questions occasionally while she's been drinking whiskey. So that's very entertaining. Go check that out. So, Paul, I realized when we set up this podcast that it was going to be a little bit strange. So, we plan to discuss humor and financial independence. And I knew immediately that the podcast would just feel a little different because I knew if you're inviting people to come onto the podcast to talk about humor, immediately everyone would think, oh, I have to be funny. And while I think it's easy to be funny and even snarky when you're writing a blog post, it's a little bit different to have someone put you on the airwaves and say, okay, now be funny. But the point of the podcast always for me was not actually about being funny. It was more about the role humor plays in the financial independence community. And I think humor is really important in how we consume information. And I think it's important on both sides. I think it's important for the producer and I think it's important for the consumer. From the side of the producer, I think it gives people a chance to really be their alter ego. Like Barney, the escape artist, was saying that maybe when he went on a podcast, he wasn't the funniest guy in the world, but the blog gave him a chance to really put it out there. And I think that really adds to the conversation. I think it also gives flair to what the producers are doing. So, you know, the financial independence topics, there are only so many out there. There are only so many times you can read a post about converting a traditional to a Roth IRA or how many posts you can do about budgeting. So for the producer, it gives a chance for them really to set themselves apart and show some of who they are and be a little creative. Now, from the consumer standpoint, 
it's really hard to convince people out there in the world that they should go towards financial independence. Most people think of it as such a big, impossible goal. But what I've noticed about all our panelists is that part of their using of humor and comedy is to actually soften this big goal and bring people into their content. Because if you just look at them and say, you should be financially independent, you should be saving more and spending less, that's going to turn off a lot of people. Yet, if you say the same thing and do it in a hilarious, ironic way, it makes people comfortable with your content. And once they get past that first limiting belief of, I can't, they're a lot more likely to take action on what you write about. So I think humor just fulfills many roles. Yes, we are in the age of edutainment because there's a lot of things we want to learn about, but we don't want to be droned at by some professoral type. That's not going to work anymore. There's too many other things out there that are more entertaining that as a content producer, you have to have a hook. You have to have some sort of connection with somebody and Humor isn't the only way, but it is certainly a powerful way, if not the most powerful way, to resonate with somebody, especially if you're self-deprecating and you're not tearing somebody else down other than yourself and it's done in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way. And I think the key to this is that whenever you access somebody's sense of humor, when you are being funny somehow and you, you resonate with somebody, what you're actually doing is you're breaking through the mental gatekeeper and getting into their emotional mind. And when you talk to somebody's inner mind, not the higher level thinking mind, that's where you resonate with somebody. And then your content reinforces the message that you were able to slip past the gatekeeper. Yeah, I like that spin on it because we know from a logic standpoint that financial independence is reachable by a large percent of our population. So I won't say all of our population, but I'll say that logically the math works and the math works for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So maybe not 100% of the United States could be financially independent, but let's say that 75% have the wherewithal that if they just followed the basic math, they could get there. Now, then let's look at numbers in reality, and you see that a very, very small percentage of our patient is financially independent. And the reason is, it's the head game. It's yes. the mindset. And so what I think our guest panelists have done is they've used humor to get past that logical, limiting beliefs mindset and tap into what you call the emotional mind. And once they get there, once they get past all those limiting beliefs, their message has greater resonance. And I think that's what it's all about. If you're a content producer, you want your message to have resonance. And for a certain subset of the financial independence producers in our community, they use humor expertly to do that. And in some ways, that's more important than writing about the 4% rule. It's more important than convincing someone mathematically they can get to financial independence. I think it's a very next level way of going about teaching about what this financial independence community is and what we're about. And that's what's up next. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank Freddie Smithlap, Piggy and Kitty from Bitches Get Riches, and Barney from The Escape Artist. Doc G and I are going live this Friday at 12 p.m. noon central to discuss this episode. To get on the live stream, join our Facebook group, the What's Up Next podcast. 
and look for notifications on when we go live. You have to be a member of the Facebook group to be a part of the live stream. We'll discuss this episode, give you some insight on what episodes we're currently working on, and a little sneak peek on the upcoming episode for next week. We look forward to reading your comments, engaging with you further, and seeing you live this Friday at noon on the What's Up Next podcast Facebook group. That's a wrap. I, I didn't play the Britney Spears part at top volume as suggested because I don't follow instructions. <laughs> how, how come did, I get that? Did you not watch the video? Did you not watch the video though? Uh, no, not yet. In the workplace, oh. but I, I will. It's a treat. <laughs> I'll bet it is. So are you saying that I should get a, I should upgrade my, my other half here and get a, get a, get a funnier co-host? Is, is yes, absolutely. <laughs> you get a trade up. I was going to ask the yeah. same, same question, but I beat you to it. I beat you to it. What's a wet treatise? I don't know. I was just going for opposites, man. I didn't workshop this ahead of time. <laughs> I, I get the part about boob jokes, though. Okay, great. I can't help but think tuning in Tokyo. It's one of my old favorites. You know. No one can see you music this podcast. What, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> Explain what you're doing so people... Hands on head. Make a sound like World War II. Like a transmitter tuning in Tokyo. Uh, well, it, that can be cut right out, I'm sure. <laughs> no sense today now. It goes over well around the household. Honestly, if you are a Tumblr user, our Tumblr is rockin'. Piggy does great um, questions and answers. You can submit questions anonymously, and she will answer them. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I'm glad it wasn't my dog. I think the listeners are going to think that we, like, inserted that. This sounds like a fake. It sounded like a... <laughs> it was really good. Uh, I couldn't have found that better sorry. if I tried to... Hello, bitch, chiming in. Yeah. Yeah, that, that dog sounded like a human. Yelling. <laughs> That's so like, I'm like, Piggy has a small human in her house running around and yelling. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess we'll never know. She will not uh, feign to even uh, accept the fact that we were talking, talking about it. <laughs> Mm. All right. Before we close it up, I'm not sure if we're going to include this on the podcast or no, but I'm going to give you some either ors and I want you to pick. Okay. This will either be funny or really stupid. All right, Freddie. So beer, wine, or liquor? Wine. Piggy, beer, wine, or liquor? Beer. Kitty, gym or the couch? Beer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like any of those options. Beer. Beer. Okay. Gym, couch, or beer? Yes. I'd like to drink beer. I'd like to sit inside of a gigantic novelty beer glass crafted into some kind of chair. Is that acceptable? That's totally acceptable. Thank you. Barney, gym or the couch? Uh, Well, I sometimes get accused of writing like a bro blog. So I would say swole is the goal and size is the prize. So I'm going to have to go with the gym. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was afraid you were talking about your sexual life there for a moment. All right, Freddie, weed or cocaine? Oh, neither. I'm a total booze bag. Piggy, same question, weed or cocaine? I mean, life is just so beautiful, you know? 
<laughs> I'd ask Kitty the same question, but she genetically, I believe, doesn't feel the effects of, of weed. So that, that, that rules that true. out. Wow, you did your research. Yeah, yeah, I try. I try. Is that um, a thing? You can genetically not yeah. feel the weed? Does it affect the weed? Yeah, uh, there's um, a, a genetic, I guess you, I, I think it's a defect. It's probably a defect um, that you know? uh, your cannabinoid receptors um, don't process the THC in the same way. Um, so it does not matter. I can smoke them like a chimney. I'm just wasting good weed. That, that, that is interesting. And I'm sure you could have a lot of, play a lot of fun games with people with that. Oh man, I should get I should, I should, I should turn that into like a petty way to hustle money on a street corner more often. Thank you all. I'm writing that down. Barney, literary great or romance novel? Oh, um, anything but romance novel. It could just be anything but not that. Freddie, the Big Easy or Eiffel Tower? Big Easy, baby. You know I used to live in the quarter, right? Yes, I do. I, I admit, I knew the answer to that one before I asked it. Piggy, Robert Kiyosaki, or Dave Ramsey? I don't know Robert Kiyosaki from Adam, but I'm going with him. <laughs> Kitty, same question. Robert Kiyosaki or Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey. I yeah. think I'm going to lose street cred. You are totally losing street cred. What? Yeah. I don't know, Girl, Paul. we talked about that. Paul, I wouldn't sleep with either of them. <laughs> Anybody but Ramsey. Them. Occasionally. <laughs> Oh, for Pete's sake, someone give that dog a lamb chop. (laughs) (laughs) Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.